Well, God bless you guys. Is it good to be in the house with the Lord? Amen. Wow. I stand up and I turn around and I see a full house. Amen. God bless you guys. April and Lizzie and Joseph, thank you. Nathan, God bless you, man. There you go. All right. Uh, are there any children that need to be dismissed at this time? Bill and Colleen, I didn't see you come in. Good morning. We're glad y'all are here. Glad to see Tim Cody back. No, you, yeah, you're, you're mature enough to stay in the service, Bill. All right. <laughs> Good to see Tim Cody back. You've been under the weather for a while. Joanne is still not quite 100%. She's still on. The, please be praying for Joanne. If you think of Joanne this week, reach out to her. Uh, let her know you're praying for her, thinking about her. Uh, Brian and uh, Jenny, we're glad to see you guys back. How many weeks has it been now since you've been sick? I think it's been more than two. <laughs> you know, uh, we're glad to see you back. Now, I've talked with all of them, and uh, they're not contagious anymore, and I even shook their hands, so that means that you can too. All right. And Lisa, is Madison got it now too? Lisa has been diagnosed with COVID. She's getting better, and Madison is also, so be praying for them as well. Amen. It's, it's not only this time of year with uh, the flu. Uh, this is the first time in the two years that COVID's been around that our church has actually been hit with it. So we've been blessed up until this time, but uh, uh, I praise the Lord that it's milder cases. I'm not diminishing how bad COVID is. I've heard it's awful, but uh, it's not been the life-threatening level. So that's a praise. Amen. We'll be continuing to pray for people to get through it. Yes. I just want to say thank you to all of you that reached out to us and prayed for us. We appreciate it. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. As we're continuing in this chapter, we're looking at uh, the teachings of Jesus through parables. And if you remember, parables are these short uh, lessons with analogy that are designed really by our Lord to test us, to all, but also to teach us truth about what the kingdom of heaven is. If you're able to stand... Let's stand and read, or I will read. Let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Dear Father God, you have blessed us with depth of learning and depth of truth here. And I thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, his words still mean what they meant Thousands of years ago, they still mean it today. And, and Lord, these, these short parables give us understanding of the great value of your kingdom. It is beyond our comprehension how valuable you are and how valuable your kingdom is. But God, we are still living in a fallen state, in a fallen world, battling our sinful nature against 
the divine salvation nature that you give us through your son, Jesus Christ. And God, this is a constant battle in us. And we, we often are blinded to the value and the, and the great treasure that your kingdom is. And so God, I pray this morning that you would teach us through your words, that you would teach us, Lord, and un- unveil within us perhaps where we're blinded to the truth. Perhaps we are blinded to how valuable you really are and your kingdom is. Perhaps we have other things that we hold more dear than you. And so, God, I pray today that you would show us this in us, that you would speak to us and show us the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. It is interesting what people in 21st century Western Christianity value. I want you to ponder for a minute, what is it that you value the most? It's interesting what we as Christians today consider the most valuable. And it's interesting what our culture considers valuable, isn't it? We find great value in material comforts, don't we? We're Westerners. If you've ever traveled outside of the United States, you will understand or someone from outside of the United States will point out to you how different we are. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? When you're traveling internationally, how do you know who the Americans are? The ones with the most baggage. That is the truth. We carry everything with us. We want comfort. We find great value in comfort. We find great value in houses, cars, clothes, air conditioning. Everybody's going, amen for air conditioning. Heat pumps. What a great invention in Western culture. Amen. We find great value Part of our, part of our value that we have, part of what we find comfortable as well is convenience and technology. Would y'all agree? That's what we as Westerners value. We value comfort. We value technology. We, because technology brings convenience. Technology brings comfort. As I'm saying that, some of you may be itching right now, reaching for your phones. Whether you are physically reaching for them or in your mind, you're thinking, my phone is my comfort. And Brian is pulling his out right now to turn off his ringer. Amen. (laughs) But am I speaking some truth? Is that what we find valuable? Sure it is. It's in this last category of technology that I think is perhaps the single greatest shift in 21st century value systems. No longer are we merely attached to our technology. I'm going to argue our technology is attached to us. Did you know, and this is a, this is a genuine study, that there are people of the next generation coming behind us, and some of you in this room are of this generation. You tell me if I'm right. There is a scientific study, a true study being happened, and now we have to accept this as truth, that there are college students and teenagers who if they're separated from their phones for any length of time, let's say that their phone is in their backpack somewhere in a locker somewhere. They're sitting in a room. They somehow sense within their spirit that they have a text. 
Now we laugh at that, but guess what? It is a true phenomena. That is what's changing what it means to be a human being now. It's changing what we value. Matthew's gospel here is pointing out something to us in these two parables from Jesus that show us what is the great value of the kingdom of heaven. These two short parables, the one of the hidden treasure and the one of the fine pearl, it exposes in us what we truly value the most, while also revealing to us the value of the kingdom of heaven. In a 21st century context, I think these parables convict us of our true treasure, what we value the most of all things. And unfortunately, we may realize that what we value the most is perhaps the least valuable of all. Because what we do is we discard the highest treasure, the highest value of the kingdom of heaven for the things that are of no worth at all. And when we do this, what we're doing, we are actually redefining human value. We're redefining something that is nothing and elevating it to the highest value in our minds. I think that's part of what Jesus is teaching us here now, too. The key point that Jesus makes in both of these parables is that we all will sacrifice greatly, perhaps even all that we have or all that we are, for what we value the most. Is there truth in that? Now, I'm not going to pick on Nancy too much, but just this is just an example, a broad universal example. There are people who are addicted to Starbucks. I'm not picking on Nancy because there's other people in this room who may be addicted to Starbucks. There may be people listening to the recording right now who are addicted to Starbucks. I'm not addicted to Starbucks. I don't understand it. But if you're addicted to Starbucks, you may go out of your way and spend your last penny in your car for a Starbucks coffee. That's just one example of many. There are other things that we will do that for, not just Starbucks. Some of us may spend our last penny on the newest cell phone or the newest dress or the newest car. May even go into debt for things that we really can't afford because we value it so highly. I think part of what Jesus is teaching us here is is along those lines. We all, this is part of who we are as human beings, we will sacrifice all that we have and perhaps all that we are for what we value the most. It's part of who we are. It's who God has made us to be. The question is, what is it that is the most valuable? The standard of sacrifice in us reveals what is the most important to us. Whatever we are the most willing to sacrifice, whatever we are the most willing to give up, reveals to us what we value the most. How much are you willing to sacrifice Look here in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And there's this man who found it and he hides it. He covers it up. Number one, imagine walking in a field that did not belong to you. In this context, we don't really see here any kind of a trespassing crime. Now, today, some of us may be questioning, wait a minute, if I go walking in a field, am I trespassing? 
In our, in our culture, that would be the case. Who owns this field? But in, in Jesus' day, that may not be the case. The open field was where probably where many people walked. Or perhaps there was a field hand here who was working in the field and stumbled upon this treasure. Or perhaps someone was gleaning on the edge of the field, as was the custom in the Mosaic Law. Remember Ruth? So open fields were not necessarily, I mean, they were probably privately owned, but there was the idea of putting fences around and trespassing was not the common custom of the day. So it would not have, I mean, it would have been okay. It would have been very common for someone to be walking through a field or working in a field that was not their own. The context, though, is not important here as much as Jesus is telling a story. He's describing an analogy. There is a treasure hidden in a field somewhere. There's a treasure hidden in a field somewhere. Somebody placed this treasure there. Someone put this treasure in the field. It didn't just biologically, through evolution, show up in the middle of a field. Someone put it there. This treasure required a person who valued the treasure enough to hide it. And then someone else found it. The field. Remember, this imagery of the field is a, rep, is a, a common theme in, in these parables of Jesus in chapter 13. Again, Jesus tells us that the field is the setting. And if you remember back in verse 34, Jesus says that the field is the world. Remember in the parable of the wheat and the tares? I think perhaps the same imagery applies here in the treasury, uh, of the hidden treasure. In the field, if that is the same imagery that Jesus is saying in verse 34. Actually, verse 38. The field is the world. If a man stumbles upon a treasure in the field, if a man stumbles upon a treasure out in the world... It's logical to assume that clearly somebody placed it there for safekeeping, either to hide it from those who would steal it or destroy it, or perhaps somebody placed it in the field for the purpose of someone else to find it. We call this treasure hunting. There are games like this where you will actually go place things and hide them on purpose for the intent of someone else to find them. You ever played that game? I think there's, I think the latest version of this in 21st century technology is geocaching. Is anybody, is that still a thing? Geocaching? I know about, is, is it? Okay. I remember about 10 years ago, it was a big thing and people would say you could go on the internet and download these secret clues and use your phone and your GPS to locate these clues and these treasures where people purposely hid them for people to find. See how technology still helps us do that? Perhaps that's what's happened here, not in a modern technology treasure hunt, but someone valued this treasure enough to hide it, perhaps to keep someone from stealing it, but also perhaps for the intent, I want it to be found by the right person. Likewise, I think the kingdom of heaven, according to Jesus' words here, is is how we understand the kingdom of heaven. It is like a treasure hidden in the field. God is establishing, or he did establish his kingdom through Jesus Christ, and it's like a treasure hidden in a field. Remember, we're trying to understand the kingdom of heaven here through these parables. 
For us, if we had something of great value that we wanted everyone to know, we would go out and promote it. We would find the right location for the right time, for the right traffic flow, with the right PR campaign to spread the knowledge far and wide for people to find the kingdom. That's how we would do it. But God is wise. God does things differently than us. (laughs) The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Why? Let's think about this. The value of this land where the treasure is hidden really depends upon the intended purpose of the ownership of the land. Think about this. If a farmer saw this field, a farmer would look at the value of the land through a farmer's eyes. What kind of agricultural profit can I make here? Right? Can this land be a great farm that produces crops or perhaps we could have cattle and livestock grazing here? Is there a value there? That's how a farmer would see the land. Or in our modern context, a land developer today might look at the land through the eyes of commercial property. Can this land be developed? Can it be a shopping mall? Can it be an office complex? Can it be an industrial park or a residential neighborhood? What's the value of the land based on what I can do with it? That's how our worldly eyes would look at a field like this, right? Imagine what type of price such a piece of land would bring. Let's just say that this field was valuable either as a a productive farm or as a piece of commercial property. In today's market, how much would that land be worth? Everybody here would be going, too much in today's market. Imagine that, though. Just imagine that. If it was commercial property for sale, how much you would pay for it. Notice in the latter half of verse 44, what the man does after discovering this treasure in the field. This field in the parable must have had some worth, but when he, but when he found this treasure in the field, verse 44, the latter half, what does he do? What's his reaction to finding the treasure in the field? First, he covers it up. I don't want anyone else to find this. I want to keep it for myself. It's valuable. And what does he go and do? Then in his joy, that underline that if you've got, if you mark in your Bible, then in his joy, what does he do? He goes and sells all that he has and he buys the field. Whatever the land was worth, the man was willing to pay more. He gave up everything that he had. He went and sold all of his possessions to purchase this field. Now, why does he purchase the field? Now, like we said, apparently this field does have some value, but this man goes and buys it for a different reason. This man does not buy this land because the land has value. The man goes and buys this land because the treasure is there. He's willing to pay more for the property than it's worth simply because of the treasure. The man's not buying the land. He wants to take possession of the treasure. That's the point. Why does the man in this parable sell all that he has to buy the field? If the field 
in, is the image of the world, and I'm going to say perhaps it is, because that's what Jesus tells us in verse 38. If that's the same image here in this parable, is Jesus indicating here that the man sells all that he has to obtain all that the world has to offer? To buy all that the world says is important. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. Not at all. There's a stark difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of man. St. Augustine has a, has a classic work, if you ever want to read it. I know some of you have asked me about good books to suggest. Uh, homeschoolers in the back, I would recommend City of God by Augustine. It's about that thick. Right? There's about 2,000 pages minimum. Your copy has 1,300 pages. You could read that in a week. It's called The City of God. And in that work, Augustine, he contrasts the city of man versus the city of God. The value of God's city, his kingdom, versus what man builds that is temporary and falls apart and is destroyed. You see the difference here? There's a stark difference here between what God is building and what man builds. And this man who sells all that he has, he does this with joy, not to buy what the world has to offer, but to take possession of this rich treasure that is from heaven. Imagine that. He understands when he discovers that what it is, it's this invaluable treasure in the field that has a value beyond what any human being could comprehend or afford. But he has to have it. He sells all that he has simply for the treasure. And he could care less about the land. The point of these parables is that Jesus' followers... True, genuine Christ followers. They deny themselves of their own value, of their pride, and they even deny the desires of their flesh. Nothing is to prevent the true believer, the true Christian, from obtaining so high of a treasure as the kingdom of heaven. That's the sign of a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. Nothing will come between you and the kingdom of heaven. You understand what Jesus is teaching here? This man who finds this treasure, he does not care about his own possessions. He does not even care about the value of the land for a farm or in our modern context of commercial property. That is irrelevant to him. What is the most important thing is the treasure that he finds. And this treasure is the kingdom. Heaven itself. That's what he's after. The true Christian, the true follower of Christ, will let nothing prevent them from obtaining this high treasure of the kingdom of heaven. These parables are as much a warning to not let worldly things hinder us from the kingdom of heaven as it is instructions for joy about the kingdom. You see that? You see, if the field represents the world, then this man who finds the treasure is selling all that he has, all that the world says is valuable, in order to obtain the hidden treasure. Now, some of us are sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute, pastor, are you saying we got to go sell all of our stuff? Honestly, I don't think that would be a bad idea. I'm just going to be real open and honest with you. It would not be a bad idea for every one of us in this room to get rid of everything that we hold dear and just say, you know what, dear Lord, I trust you with all that you have. He'll provide. 
Now, that's a pretty radical take. Now, some of the mamas in here are going, uh-uh. I want my nice house and I want my nice bed and I want my air conditioning and my hot water and my cleanliness. And some of the men are going, well, you know, I like my tools and my tool shed and my cars and my trucks and my bass boats. And Nothing wrong with having stuff. We need houses. We need clothing. We need food. We need water. But are we so comfortable that we would rather have our comforts than our kingdom? I think that's the point Jesus is saying here. When one discovers the hidden treasure of the kingdom, when a genuine Christian, a genuine believer in Christ, discovers the hidden treasure of the kingdom of heaven, the only reaction is joy. The only reaction is to discard all that one has to obtain what has more value. That's that's what Jesus is teaching here. Let's look here at verse 45. Now he goes into the second parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Here, Jesus speaks an analogy that the kingdom of heaven is not like anything that man can build. Same imagery carried through. A merchant is one who deals with material goods. That's what a merchant does. They buy and sell, they trade, they provide goods for people. This particular merchant, what does he deal with? He's dealing in fine pearls. That's perhaps his business. He's in search of fine pearls. Ironically, the allure of shiny material treasure is what entraps us all, isn't it? The shiny bling of a new thing, whether it be the shiny new thing of jewelry but could also be the shiny new thing, like I said earlier uh, this morning, technology. And I learned this personally years and years ago. It struck me very hardly. God, God struck me down for this feeling. This was years and years ago. This would have been, golly, 2000, 2001, ancient years ago in technology terms. And I was an art director at the time look, working here in Cookville for an ad agency. And we had just upgraded my computer to an a Mac G3 with the plastic colored casing. If y'all remember 20 years ago what those were. And boy, I was just, I was, my mouth was watering when I got this new computer. Oh wow, I've got the newest, greatest, shiniest toy. And no one else had the new computer. I did that week. I got the new computer. And boy, I was all excited. Tim is just grinning. You remember what those kinds were, weren't you? That week, well, actually that day, I spent all afternoon unboxing this computer and getting it all set up to the point that my boss was, don't you have that done yet? And he's looking at his clock, seeing money going out the door because I wasn't working. I was playing with the computer, getting it set up. And oh, I was just, I was mesmerized by this new computer until I turned it on. Didn't take 30 minutes before it crashed. And I spent three days rebooting and rebuilding the software over and over again and dealing with customer support until I finally got this computer working to the point that I could actually be productive. How long did the allure of the shiny new toy last? Not even a day. See, we all are guilty of this, aren't we? 
This mer- See, that's why this second parable of, of the merchant looking for the fine pearls, that can resonate with us in this context of 21st century America, probably more so than the agricultural image of a field, because we are drawn to shiny new things, aren't we? And this merchant, he's in search of fine pearls. It was his business. Here Jesus is pointing to the hidden treasure of the kingdom of heaven in the everyday things that we pursue. Notice this. He's pointing to this, to the imagery of the hidden treasure of the kingdom of heaven in, in the everyday. Let's be clear though, no matter how valuable a good business is, like this merchant's business, no matter how valuable a good career is, there is always a hidden treasure to be found that God himself has established in the world. Notice that? The kingdom of heaven was found by this merchant as he was looking for fine pearls. As he conducted his business, he found one pearl that was so valuable, nothing else compared. He was going about his daily business. He was a merchant looking for fine pearls. And when he found this one, he stopped buying anything else. He stopped looking for anything else. He found this one pearl of the highest value. He got rid of everything. He understood the great value of this one pearl because he understood his business. He understood the value of this one pearl was so valuable. It's worth sacrificing everything I've got to obtain it. But this one pearl, according to Jesus, is the one pearl of great value, the kingdom of heaven. So you can see the image, the analogy here of a businessman. It's this, when no matter what it is that we are pursuing, when the kingdom of heaven is found, when we, when the kingdom of heaven is discovered, when the light goes off in our spirits when the light goes off in our minds. Oh, this is what I've been looking for. Wow. I'm going to go sell everything I've got just so I can get this one pearl. That's the reaction of the kingdom. That's the reaction of the Christian. The reaction of the Christian to the hidden value of the hidden treasure of the kingdom is this. I will sacrifice all that it takes to obtain this. Yet we as Christians in the church today don't understand that value of sacrifice. Even that, that level of joy about the kingdom. This man, this merchant, what does he do? It's the same reaction that the man had when he found the hidden treasure in the field. This merchant, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Now, what does it mean to buy the kingdom? Here's the thing that when you're looking at these parables, Jesus mentions in both of these in verse 34, I mean, I'm sorry, in verse 44 and in verse 46, he says that both of these men, they buy Something. By the word buy, Jesus does not mean here that anyone brings any value to obtaining or purchasing the kingdom of heaven. 
Because you may be looking at this thing, and now wait a minute, Pastor. I thought salvation was through Christ alone, and we do not do anything to earn the salvation. That is absolutely biblically true. So why is Jesus using the idea here of buying anything when it, re- when it pertains to the kingdom of heaven? Let's figure out what this means. No one at any price can come close to the purchase price of the value of the kingdom. No one can purchase for themselves heavenly life. No one can purchase for themselves eternal life. Can we make that clear? Would they all agree? The prophet Isaiah says this about the kingdom of heaven in Isaiah 55 verse 1. He says, come and buy wine and milk without money, without price. I want to say that again. Isaiah, the prophet, 55, verse 1, come and buy wine and milk without money, without price. What does it mean to buy without money? To buy without price. The gift of the heavenly kingdom is a free gift from the Father in heaven. We are said to buy it this way when we joyfully give up our personal desires. When we joyfully give up anything that hinders us from obtaining this free gift of grace, that is what is meant by buying the treasure in the field or buying the the one pearl of great value. By sacrificing anything that we hold so dear that it hinders us from obtaining the, the the priceless value of the kingdom of heaven. Men and women, boys and girls in this room, anyone who's listening to these words right now through these parables, stop and ponder and ask yourself, what is it that I'm holding on to so tightly that it's stopping me from the kingdom of heaven? Or more importantly, even deeper, what am I holding on to so tightly that it is keeping me from the joy of the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says nothing is worth holding on to. The kingdom of heaven is so much more valuable and so much more grand than anything that you're holding on to so dearly. I don't care if it's a material thing. I don't care if it's a person that you love. I don't care if it is an ideology. In the last couple of years of our culture, what is twisting the truth of the gospel? It's ideologies, ideas that people grab onto that they replace the truth of the gospel with. Because the ideology is more comforting than the truth of the kingdom. I don't mean to step on toes, but I just did. Amen. The gift of the kingdom of heaven is a free gift to us from the Father. We are said to buy it if we joyfully, joyfully, happily give up our personal desires, give up anything that hinders us, who blocks us from Christ. That's the sign of a true Christian. You ever seen somebody go running to an altar and they're just so broken and they're so happy to find Jesus. They don't care what anybody thinks about them. They don't care about anything that they've got. All they care about is Christ. And it doesn't take long for that joyful new Christian to be poisoned and tainted by the church because we burden them with too many things. 
The Apostle Paul tells us that in comparison to the kingdom, all that the world offers, all that his flesh desires, Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he counts all things as loss or dung or trash or rubbish that he might gain Christ. I don't care what it is. If it's of the world, according to the Apostle Paul, now he uses some very colorful language that I won't repeat here, but you can translate it as garbage. You can translate it as the stuff that goes down the sewer. That's the value of the world compared to the value of the kingdom. So why would we want to hold on to stuff that should just be flushed, tossed in the trash, over and against the richness of the treasure of the kingdom of heaven. Why do we do that? So I have, let's, let's see how we put this into practice. How do these two parables test us? Remember that the parables of Jesus are intended to reveal who what the kingdom of heaven is, but it's also intended to test us as well. There is both warning and encouragement in these two parables that define the kingdom of heaven as both hidden, as if it is to be discovered, and valuable, as if it is a treasure of its own value and worth. I mean, think about a treasure has value. The richest treasure has makes its own value. <laughs> the richest of treasures has an intrinsic value that we don't, understand or comprehend. We just know it's valuable. That's the kingdom of heaven. We're all prone to the allure of shiny things. Let's just all be be honest here. We're all prone to the desire of fame. We're all prone to the desire of prosperity. We're all prone to the desire of carnal things. So much so that our sinful state blinds us to the riches of the kingdom of heaven. All of these things that we are allured to, that we are attracted to, blinds us to the riches of the kingdom of heaven. We're blind because our eyes are focused on not the kingdom, our eyes are focused on the world. We're blind because what the world values, our flesh values, and we're not focused on the inherent value of the treasure called the kingdom of heaven. That's why the kingdom of heaven must be shown to us. That's why the kingdom of heaven must be revealed to us. But it is as if it is this hidden treasure in the world that is to be found. We're distracted. That's why we can't see the kingdom. That's why we miss the treasure called the kingdom of heaven. Do we all agree? Can everybody confess that we live in a distracted world? I mean, just just go through your mind and list all the things that distract you. Jobs, bills, stuff. We live in an information age. You know, every season of human history has been named and labeled something. Right? The Industrial Revolution. You remember when that came around a couple hundred years ago? Now we're in the information age. What is one of the what is one of the characteristics of the information age? More information than we can consume. We consume more information in one week than ancestors 200 years ago or even 150 years ago would consume in a lifetime. I'm going to let that sink in. From internet to radio to television 
you name it, we are bombarded with more information than many of generations before us would experience in a lifetime. What does that do to our focus? What does that do to our vision of what is real? You see where we are in the 21st century? This is why I brought this up in the beginning. Technology is our new hindrance to the value of the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's a lot about technology that is wonderful. Without technology, I wouldn't have contact lenses in and I wouldn't have reader glasses to go on top of the contact lenses so that I can see. Without technology, I would, you know, I had knee surgery a couple of weeks ago. Do you think I'd be standing here today if I didn't have the type of knee surgery that I did two weeks or three weeks ago? I'd still be in a cast. Or they wouldn't be able to repair the knee and I'd be crippled for the rest of my life. So there's value in technology. Don't y'all like your cars? Yeah. Otherwise, we'd be walking to church or we'd be riding a horse. You like your cars? I like my car. But then there are things, there are things in technology that do distract us from the kingdom of heaven. It's so much so that we're blinded to it. We're distracted by the blindness to the excellence that eternal life can give us because we're so we're so immersed in this world, we're so immersed in the noise of the information age that we cannot hear and we cannot see the treasure called the kingdom of heaven. That's how this applies to us now. Jesus teaches us in these parables that when one stumbles across the treasure that is hidden in the field, or we find the one great pearl among millions of pearls that is more valuable than all the others, the true citizen of the kingdom will be so shaken to the core by this discovery that an uneasiness will come over him or her. And this uneasiness will concern all that he or she holds dear. And we realize that what we're holding on to is of no value at all. And it's not important at all. Has that happened to you in your life? Has, has God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, shaken you so much to the core with the truth of the gospel that everything that you thought was important was so discarded in your thinking that you realized that you were holding on to things of no value and you didn't realize it until the truth of the kingdom became real. That's what Jesus is saying here. Whatever it is we hold dear, whatever it is that we value the most, will cause us to be uneasy when we're shown the highest value of the kingdom of heaven. And this uneasiness will shake us so deeply to the core of our soul that we would rather cast away all of our earthly treasures for the one treasure called the kingdom of heaven. That is true faith. That is the true kingdom of heaven. Yet we have this problem. It used to be called syncretism. That's another good theological word if you want to write it down. Every week, sometimes I throw them out there for you. What is syncretism? Syncretism is the, the, uh, is the problem within Christianity where and missionaries see this problem all the time. When they go and they preach the gospel in another culture, but we are just as guilty of it here, we syncretize, we, we take 
the values of the culture, the values of the world that we're coming from, and we try to harmonize it with the gospel, and, and the result is a gospel that is not the gospel. It's actually a new religion because we've, we've muddied the waters. <laughs> we've blended pagan religion with Christianity, or we've blended secular ideology with true Christianity, and it's not the gospel anymore, and that can be a problem. Jesus is teaching us here that what he speaks about, what, what he speak, when he says about the kingdom of heaven is of more value than anything that we could ever imagine. Those who hear these parables, even us today, when we read about the, the treasure in the field that was hidden and, and, and the pearl of great price that the merchant discovered. Man, when we, when, when the kingdom of heaven becomes so real, when we, when we are awakened to the value of the treasure, we realize just how worthless all that we hold dear truly is. And we sacrifice all that we possess. We sacrifice all that we think, all that we hold dear to make way so that we can come to the bright light of the kingdom, that treasure of great value. The kingdom of heaven deserves our attention. I want to say that one more time. The kingdom of heaven deserves our attention. And in the information age that we find ourselves in, we could be so blinded by the lack of focus that we think we're in the kingdom, but the truth is we're hindered from it. We're blinded to it. The kingdom of heaven deserves our attention, and Jesus does not pronounce the hidden treasure or the pearl of great value to be highly valued by all. Let's point this out. Not everyone who discovers the hidden treasure, the kingdom of heaven, will see it as valuable. You may run across the treasure in the field and think, oh, this is just a bunch of junk. Growing up, a bunch of weeds growing around it. Why do I want that? You may be looking at a bunch of pearls and not have one clue what you're looking at and see the one pearl in the vast array of thousands in a pile and think, oh, that's just another pearl. So the kingdom of heaven will not be seen by everyone as valuable. Many souls will never care enough about the kingdom of heaven, not only to look for it, much less sacrifice themselves for it when it's revealed to them, because they don't see it. They don't see the value. The secular world cares nothing about the kingdom of heaven. Nothing. Yet how many of us spend more time listening to the voices of the secular world than we do the Word of God? How many of our homes focus more on secular thinking and, sec- can I just say, entertainment? We're also The information age is also an age of entertainment. Would you agree? Just compare how much time you spend being entertained versus how much time you spend in prayer and Bible study and fellowship with Christians. That'll wake you up, won't it? The secular world cares nothing about the kingdom of heaven. So for the secular world, the kingdom has no value at all. But for the broken and the contrite heart, that's Psalm 51, the kingdom of heaven has more value than we could ever buy. This is the state of mind that Jesus is speaking about here. 
The treasure in the field and the rare pearl have value before they are found. The value is not imposed upon it. The value is what God has made. He has established His kingdom. That value is enough alone right there. But once discovered, when we see its worth, the person who uncovers it, who actually understands its worth, knows that the only hope of obtaining such a great treasure of the kingdom of heaven and worth is beyond his reach. He understands it is so valuable, I can't get it, but I don't care. I'm going to do all it takes to obtain it. The words of the value denote here the knowledge of faith. The kingdom of heaven is seen as no value by the man of the world, but the things of the, because the things of this world are too precious to him. But the, the faithful mind, the faithful heart, the broken and the contrite heart, when they see these treasures, wow, that's what I've been looking for. Now I want to close with this thought. Jesus repeats this theme throughout his ministry. He calls many to follow him, but how many reject him because their belly hungers for the world? Is anything or anyone more satisfying than Jesus Christ? No. I'm going to say that one more time. Let's see how many more people speak up. Is there anything more valuable and more satisfying than Jesus Christ? No. When we look at Matthew 19, you don't have to turn there, the, the story of the rich young ruler when he comes to Jesus. Do you remember that story? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus in the night. He says, what do I need to do to obtain the kingdom? What does Jesus say to him? Go and sell everything you've got and come and follow me. Because Jesus knew the heart of that young man. He knew what that young man valued. He said, if you'll sacrifice that... That'll show me the genuine faith that you need and you must have to be my follower. Go and sell your stuff, and then you can come follow me. And Jesus knew his heart. He knew what he would do. But in Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn there, we'll close with this passage. Matthew chapter 6. Here's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to close with this passage. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be also. That's a common theme throughout Jesus' ministry. It's John chapter 6. When, John, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, you know, you know what happened after Jesus fed the 5,000? He and His disciples go across the Sea of Galilee and there was a segment of that 5,000 that followed them around the lake and they come to Jesus the next day and what were they following Jesus for? They wanted another free meal. And Jesus told them the truth. He told them the truth about the gospel. He told them the truth about sacrifice as a disciple of His. And in verse 6, He says, When many of His disciples heard this teaching, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? You see, this theme in Jesus' ministry repeats. The kingdom of heaven is so valuable, it's worth all that you have. But there are many in the world, most in the world, most, will find it so difficult they cannot give up the world for Christ. 
And in John chapter 6, what happens after Jesus scolds the disciples? Verse 66, after this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. So the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl of the great value teach us something very important. The kingdom of heaven is more valuable than anything else that we could ever hold or think or possess. Yet how many of us in this room are still latched on to something, someone, and it's holding you back from Christ? You may be blinded to the fact that you are part of the kingdom, but according to the words of Jesus here, the true believer, the true follower is so joyful that they give up everything. They sacrifice who they are. Their very being is cast aside so that Christ is their all in all. That's the kingdom. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. And these parables of Your Son, Jesus Christ, they speak so clearly today, Lord. I I pray that You would challenge us all, speak to us in our spirits, show us exactly the truth of who we are before You. Lord, is there anything that we are holding on to and see as more valuable than the truth of Your Gospel? Whatever it is, Lord, show us how to get rid of it. Whatever it is, Lord, show us that the value of your kingdom is so much more. And I pray, God, that you would stir in each and every one of us a joy and a passion for your Son, Jesus Christ, that everything else pales in comparison. Lord, give us that level of thinking and that level of joy. And forgive us when we don't embrace it. And I pray, God, through your mercy, you would call us to this again and again and again. Lord, your kingdom is valuable. And Lord, we can't see it and we need your help. Open our eyes, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.